welcome to the EFTM Formula One podcast. Trevor Long and Connor McNally with you. Harry Tucker slept in. It's that simple, folks. He's just sent a message saying he went for a two-stopper and his pit crew left the right rear hanging and he missed his alarm. So it's simple as that. It is simple. Harry missed a cracking good race. Um, oh. I don't even know where to begin. Oh, I think it's the same as last week. It wasn't the most entertaining race on track, but it had Everything. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot. I don't like. I didn't. I stopped taking notes. <laughs> like, I stopped taking notes because it was that that full on. Daniel Ricciardo, driver of the day though, and much deserved. Finished fourth uh, from eighth. Um, look, we had two red flags. Let's put it to you that way straight up. If you haven't watched the race or the KO mini, which thirty minutes, I don't know how they'll get it all in. To be honest, yeah, uh, you know, it's solid, solid um, amount of action to pack into the thirty minutes. This is the latest we've ever recorded. It's one thirty-seven a.m. Um, the, you know, normally I'd be uploading at this point. So yeah, exactly. it's a very, 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 very long, not race, long race, but long racing due, uh, window because of a couple of red flags. So look, um, and we will, uh, after we talk Formula 1, we'll definitely talk uh, F3 because Aussie Oscar Piastri has won the uh, F3 championship and that's a big win. Massive so win. We'll, we'll talk about that weekend shortly as well. But Connor... Um, it was an interesting one because it, over the weekend, this is obviously a brand new circuit, Magello, that yep. we've never been to before apart from some practice, um, some testing, but, you know, predominantly this is a MotoGP circuit. Very much. Um, and every time you see a driver being asked about this circuit this weekend, they've loved it. You know, this is a this is a beautiful circuit. They love the twists, the turns, the high-speed turns and all that kind of stuff. So it's kind of, it's exciting to see a new circuit like this. Absolutely. And you look at the, the topography of the circuit, it is carved so beautifully into the hillside of the Tuscan mm. region. Just magnificent. Main straight, uh, like a like a river in the in the bottom of a valley, and then both kind of wings of the track up on the hill, so you've got undulations as well. So it's a beautiful track in that sense. There was a, a fair bit of concern coming in that because it's pretty much a MotoGP circuit, it's narrow and there's not a lot of width available to, to the drivers in terms of where to pass and where to, where to drive and things. But it was always going to be the case that with one long straight, DRS was going to play a huge factor here. And I think this race was actually an example of excellent use of DRS, excellent implementation of DRS, don't oh. you think? Because it didn't actually, it wasn't ding-dong. If you were faster, DRS helped you get past, but it didn't help the person then come back at you. So I think it, I think it, it aided the people who needed to be aided by it. I, I think it was a great Im- implementation full stop across all the classes this weekend. I think we saw some magnificent passes both on the inside and on the outside. Mm. So... Yeah, and, and just the fast and free-flowing nature of the racing just made it really, really entertaining to watch. As I said, maybe not as close as everyone would have liked, but yeah. it, it provided lots of entertainment. So I actually said to you before the race, I said, I feel like this is the, f- this is the race. Every single week we sit here and go, it's going to be action on the first corner, and it never is. Um, it's been a very disappointing... Op- We've actually had a very low attrition rate on the opening lap of pretty much every race this year thus yeah, far. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I said, this could be the one. And, and it did. And it- not because not because of the circuit, but it is new, but because watching the, the F2 and the F3, you, you saw a lot of lines being taken. There is basically two lines inside and outside of Turn 1 that, you know, there was a lot of potential there for, for that action. And um, we got it. We absolutely got it. Max Verstappen on the grid... From um, the the lap to the grid was fine, but on the on the grid, his team spent a lot of time with the covers off, um, cooling the car, working in the very back of the of of the engine area, 
And the the team was like, oh, no, it's cool. It's cool, cool, cool. But, mate, off the start, off the line, he actually got a cracking good start. He was beside Lewis. Yeah. Valtteri, off the line, leads. Bot, uh, Lewis, not a bad start, but, you know, Max right up beside him. And then in the second phase, as they describe it, um, you know, Max's car just lost power. Yeah, just lost power all pretty much straight away. And we thought, okay, well, there's no panic. Because remember what happened during the Hungarian, I think it was the Hungarian Grand Prix when he crashed uh, on the formation lab mm. and they had to work on the front yep. left. Same. It wasn't quite that bad, but it wasn't it was, there, quite, was serious, no. there was serious activity around the car. And then everyone thought, oh, no, it was all calm and everything. But as soon as that second phase of the start happened, he just fell right back. And Max was complaining on the radio that there was something horribly wrong. Yeah. And he I just mean, he was, he was on the radio. You could see it on the replay. He was on the radio button into the first corner saying, we've lost power, we've lost power, we've lost power. There, so, was, there was no way in hell he was going to survive the entire race like that. I think he would only last... It, the first couple of laps, and that would have been it. Oh, I, I think they would have retired because it was clear that he didn't have power. Yeah. And in the end, that decision was taken out of his hands uh, before they even got to turn two. Um, it, was, it took a long time for us to see what happened because it required a lot of replays, and I, I do feel like it was a disappointing effort by the director, the TV director this, this weekend. Yeah. It took a while to show us the stuff, but basically, Pierre Gasly... Um, got a bit tight on Kimi Raikkonen. Uh, Pierre was on Kimi's Kimi's right-hand side, bumped into him and pushed uh, and essentially uh, removed all ability for Kimi to break and have traction, which then when Pierre kind of freed up Kimi, he, he went straight into the back of, of Max and that put all three of them out into the gravel trap. It, did, it didn't put Kimi out of the race. You would have thought in such a no. situation he would be out, but he wasn't. He, 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 he went... Kind of slight, just on the edge of the gravel, but his his wing was broken, and he went around everything. But Max uh, and Pierre were, were out. Max, you know, frustrated, furious, spinning the wheels like he'd never been in gravel before. <laughs> you know, it was one of those weird things. You know, remember when gravel was, you know, was in every track that was, uh, you know, you see a lot of that happening. But we don't actually have a lot of gravel at a lot of tracks, do no, we? No, and this so, is one of the few tracks that has a lot of gravel. So, Mac, the normal assumption is. Don't dig yourself into a into a gravel trap because you're not going to get anywhere. Well, Max certainly didn't listen. He absolutely had an absolute brain fart. So, so that that leads us to um, uh, to a safety car. Yep, and uh, a safety car restart after a, f- a fair few laps. It was a fair few laps under safety car. It was about eight laps. Um, yeah, we got to about lap nine or eight or nine where we were talking about a restart and the. We were told uh, by a commentary, which means the whole the, the race director made made a post, and all the teams would know that the safety car was coming in this lap. But the lights on the safety car didn't go out until the last corner. Valtteri, and there's a lot of talk in the com box about this as a safety car area. The problem with this track is the DRS or the slipstream effect is so extreme, especially going up the hill after the after the start line, hmm. that if you were to punch the throttle at the start of the straight. You're just giving everyone a, a slipstream. So Valtteri rightly just went real slow, weaving and ducking, weaving the, you know, uh, warming the tyres right up until the control line, to the start line, and then was ready to bolt. Um, Lewis was pretty much on his back wheel, ready to go as well, and they went. But even before, in the replays, now with hindsight, we look back at the replays, even before Valtteri had crossed the start line, there was a massive smash behind him. Yeah. Like, 
Oh, I haven't seen anything like that for, for a long time. Well, I haven't seen anything as bad as that since probably the Belgian Grand Prix '98 when they all crashed at the at the tail of the field in the rain. Yeah, yeah. they're all going left, right, and centre. So I'm gonna I'm gonna swear here it was a massive some fuck up on on so many levels. And interesting, we don't quite know yet whose it was. We I don't think we've seen enough replays to understand truly who it was. But basically, you had this concertina effect where, you know, the the back of the grid was just kind of speeding up, thinking that things were getting going. Mm. Now, there's a green light on because the track is green. All right? Now, I'm like, during the race, I'm like, that's how stupid. Why are they... Tw- why are they green lighting the race when they haven't crossed the control line but the green lights the green flags just indicating that the track is green it's good to go um you're still not meant to pass until the control line but yet there was people accelerating and enough people braking or going slow that in the end you had this parting of the ways carlos signs i think was the best on board he's he's just going down the straight at some decent speed and the two cars in front of him part ways like moses parting the seas and there's someone sitting right there, and he's just rammed him at 290 and he ran, and, now. And he rammed into Antonio Giovinazzi at, at such ferocity, like it almost tipped over Giovinazzi onto his lead. Yeah, that, yeah. that was scary. Really, so, really scary. Three cars into the wall there. Um, Latifi also took some some serious damage and went uh, and had to had to you know trottle off to the side. So, Magnussen as well. Weirdly, we get a red flag. Yeah. We had a red flag last week. We get a red flag this week. Cars are in the pit lane. Um, you know, it's such a strange thing because then, then you get that whole, this is only nine laps in, so you're questioning whether or not there's tyre decisions being made. It's not far enough in to change the true strategy of the race because you're still going to need another stop at some point. Mm. But, you know, it, it, went, it, it, it was a great kind of restart to the race because then you're like, okay, okay, let's, let's do this. So at that point, Bodas is in front, right? So Bodas gets the... Pole, pole position, essentially, on the race restart. But he did not get a good restart, did he, Connor? No, he didn't. He got a terrible start. I'm, we're just watching the, the, the vision right now of the podium, and oh, there's a lot of tension between the Mercedes pair, but that's expected. Bottas is pissed, and we'll talk about why in a minute. Yeah. Um, the the restart, though, cost Bottas, and Hamilton You know, was able to get out in front. Um, you know, it, it was not a, not a bad restart overall, but unfortunately... There was just this. There's this slipstream effect that absolutely allowed Lewis to do his thing, mm. and Lewis just took great advantage of that from the start. And it, it, this was Valtteri's race for the taking. He had dominated all of the practice sessions bar qualifying, and unfortunately for Valtteri, he just was caught up in a situation that was not his fault. But it was just right there for the taking, and and yeah, there was just. There were a number of other key factors, as we will discuss, of why it was cruelly taken away from Valtteri, and, and, and wrongfully so, in my opinion. And I think what's interesting then is the race then starts. We get a proper bit of actual action, right? Yeah. And what I loved most about it was, this is what I was talking about earlier with DRS. You had um, you had Mercedes out front, um, and then who was, in, who was in third? Because Stroll wasn't in third. Stroll, uh, was, Stroll was in third for a period of time, and then you, you also had um, yeah, Charles so Leclerc. Stroll. Charles Leclerc was in Charles third. Leclerc was in third, that's right. Yeah. And you had Stroll, you had Daniel, you had Perez. There was a bit going on there, right? So Absolutely. Daniel then starts doing work on, on DRS zone. So Daniel gets Perez under DRS, yep. and he starts making work up, up, up the field a bit, and he's starting to get within reach of, of Stroll, but not enough to pass him. The clerk pits again, weirdly. Um, you know, a very strange like decision to pit, but Daniel 
being close to Stroll was awesome. But what was brilliant was Daniel then went for the undercut and just dominated. Like in the undercut, he, on his outlap, he was flying. But what was fascinating to me was Racing Point brought Perez in on the undercut lap when they should have brought Stroll in. Yeah. So Daniel's out gets two full laps on at speed and Perez then comes in and Daniel comes out in front. That was a massive cock-up from Racing Port's point of view. Why did they put Perez in first and then Stroll? I, I just... Yeah. I don't know. I just don't understand their thinking. I don't understand their strategies. But, look, a great undercut decision by Renault to put Daniel into a good place. And in the end, he got it up into third, and we were, we were just shouting. We were hoping that as long as he kept that pace and consistent pace as well, he would be very, very comfortable to be sitting in third and hopefully for the race finish. That was until... We had another second red flag, which yeah, was so, with, um, with uh, Lance. So Lance is Lance is up there pushing hard, and he goes uh, clearly had a failure. Like I, oh, I don't really like Lance, so it doesn't really worry me if he <laughs> stuffed up himself. But I don't <laughs> think he did. I think he, he he did have a rear left failure of some sort. He said he had a puncture. So. How would he know he had a puncture? What does he see the thing? Go? I mean, he, I don't. That doesn't make sense to me. But it was. I think it was left rear um, failed in some way, probably mm. a puncher, and he hit the he hit the wall. Uh, the tyre barrier really hard. It kind of snapped the car in two. The gearbox looked like it was kind of hanging on just a bolt. Um, that thing was on fire under the under the, the engine the cover to the point that yeah. the marshals had to rip the cowling off and, and spray the heck out of it. So, you know, it was a pretty big... And that, again, red flag because... The tyres need that that barrier needs to be fixed. I think people don't quite understand why we have these red flags in these situations. This is a track we don't go to regularly, so it's not it doesn't have the kind of full range of F1 safety um, measures and different types of fences that get installed at the permanent tracks. But that that barrier needed to be fixed. Absolutely, so another red bloody flag. Now at that point you're like, well, hang on a minute here. Well, we got a chance. This is this is looking real good. We were we were starting to get quite edgy here. We were actually getting quite keen to see Ricardo get that long awaited podium for Renault. Because uh, Ricardo is that in that point in third because he performed a beautiful undercut yep. on, on Perez, on, on Stroll. Stroll behind him goes off, so Albon um, is now in fourth. So you've got uh, on the grid with, I believe it was like 16 laps to go? Yes, 16 to go. Um, you, you've got Hamilton and Bottas. You've got Ricardo and Albon and off the start Bottas just went utterly backwards, so you had you had Daniel in second off the off the line, and for the first lap of the of the second restart. Yeah, but interesting. Before that, it was when you looked at um, Bottas. What Bottas was wanting to do, he wanted to because Ricardo had undercut Lance Stroll and got into third. Bottas got a sniff of an idea of getting that undercut on Hamilton, so he said to his pits. What's Hamilton's situation Actually, with his tyres? Yeah, we, we skipped that whole thing, um, which, which was in the in the second phase of the race between the red flags, um, because the the decision there was another pit coming right yeah. before the before the safety car and, and the and the red flag. Um, and what's interesting was, as you said, Bottas said to his pit crew, he said, "Look, I want to I want to take the opposite tyre to Lewis." Now he's sitting on the pit wall and you're going, "Well, what the fuck do we do now?" Because Bottas is being racy. How, how do we how do we tell him not to be? And I'm going to say there's no way this wasn't a team decision. They went, it's real easy. Just tell Bottas he has to pit first. Tell Lewis his tyres are fine. Tell Bottas his aren't. And Bottas pits. They give him hards. So they don't have to give Hamilton the opposite because he didn't ask for that. 
and now Hamilton's on the same tyres as Bottas. So it was it was a bit of a dog act from the it team. It was a massive dog act. And I think that's the reason for that cold nature of the of the uh, podium we're seeing there. Yeah, and it's been very much the same nature for for many many weeks. It's pretty racy. It was a good race. In fact, it's very disappointing. The last ten laps were actually pretty plain and boring. Yeah. Which, frankly, everyone expected. Even my son said to me, "The you know, I think this is going to be a first lap, last lap kind of kind of deal." Despite the fact we had some good um, Formula Two and Formula Three races, they're always better than Formula One. So they would have to have been spectacular for Formula One to have followed suit. Unfortunately, I think the last nine or ten laps here were an example of what the race would have been like <laughs> yes. if it had been green all the way through, or maybe even if one safety car, it wouldn't have been that. So I just think we've got to be careful not to think that Mugello's this great potential racing circuit when it was just some some you know amazing incidents that really caused the outcome that we got. Oh, of course, but the the, the outcome was for Alex Albon like that they all decided to go on softs for the finish, yeah. which was I guess a logical choice. I just think that the safety this second reg flag period absolutely screwed up Ricardo in so many yeah, ways. No doubt. So Ricardo um, and Bottas pitted, and this I was a bit frustrated by this again with the the safety car, which was before the, the session was red flag. Safety car's out. Bottas comes in. Ricardo comes in. Hamilton didn't, but the safety car picked up Bottas, which meant Hamilton actually did get his free safety car stop. Mm. Now, I'm just being a narc because it would have been good to see Hamilton disadvantaged in a big way. Yeah, me too. But I, I just look at it and go, why on earth didn't... And I understand people say, oh, okay, so Hamilton... Um, went past before the safety car was ready to come out. Cool, that's fine. Burnt had to start the car up, whatever. But they could have let everyone pass. Frankly, they could have sat at pit exit waiting for Hamilton. The cars have got to go slow under yellows, double yellow safety cars anyway. Yep. They didn't need to pick up Hamilton, uh, Baltas, and and allow basically Hamilton to get that free stop. Oh, I, just, I just look at it and go, the safety car in my mind should always pick up the lead car. The problem is you've got that balance of the whole point of a safety car is for everyone to go slow and to not crash because there's a reason on the track. But in my mind, that was just a bit of a bummer because Hamilton was able to get the same advantage. And, you know, they all end up on softs. And Daniel um, fought really hard to try to maintain third. But Albon, the Red Bull's a better car. I mean, don't anyone think that Daniel lost third position? He, He was... He, he's up against a Red Bull. That's a much better car yeah. than than the Renault. And frankly, the real story of the weekend, I think, is that the Renault far outperformed the pink Mercedes. Oh, without a question. Daniel had them. Uh, they had them. He had their measure. And you'd, you'd think that Racing Point would actually be taking it up to Red Bull, but it was the complete opposite. They were nowhere near the pace. Well, isn't Racing Point meant to be taking up to Mercedes? Yeah. They're, they're, like supposed, to have, they're supposed to have the same car. Isn't they, that what we were expecting when all the dramas about them copying happened? Yep. They were meant to be taking it up to Mercedes. Nowhere in hell they were close. But they haven't really shown that. No. Not in the last few races. So when he had 12 finishes, um, Russell just missed out on points. Um, Grosjean behind him, uh, 12 finishes. It's just stunning to have eight eight cars out of a race like this. <laughs> yeah, it just reminds me of the old days of Formula One, which is which is good to see. It just means you know there's a little bit more you know a little bit more spicy action. But uh, whew, we're now at the halfway point of the championship, and we now go to Russia in two weeks. So yeah, what do we do now? Yeah, look, I think that what we're learning here is that. 
Oh, and I think this is also that point where we where we realise that you know Mercedes are going to run away with this thing, mm. but you know what, um, Renault have got pace. It's really just down to luck for them to get that performance. The McLaren has been, I think, a touch disappointing in the last couple of races, given where they were earlier on, um, and the pink Mercedes probably not as far up as they thought they could be. Yeah, and Ferrari. <laughs> What an embarrassing one thousandth, one thousandth, one thousandth Grand Prix! I can tell you where they finished actually. So, well, they finished eighth and ele- eight, eighth and eighth tenth. And tenth. Yeah, eighth and tenth. So, yeah. you know, that's actually a good result to get both cars in the points. But let's be real; that's only because eight cars didn't finish. Mm. Now, you know, we've we've had the announcement that Seb is officially going to Racing Point or no Aston Martin. big surprise that was going to happen. Well, there was we Harry when he when he was awake, um, and and you and I were talking um, online during the week about you know maybe just maybe you're Otmar and you you do a deal with uh, Toto to get uh, George Russell over. Now that the Williams family are gone, Georgie boy, off you go, off you go, exactly. I, I, but I do think there's something to the 2022 market that's starting to shape up. I think we're seeing. Mick Schumacher in Formula 2 do so well that he, you know, gonna, you're going to see him potentially in an alpha next year. I think so, yeah. Um, and then give him two years at alpha, Carlos can be given the arse from Ferrari, and you've got yourself two strong, young drivers at a point where Ferrari's on the ascendancy, right? Yes. Um, you know, the McLaren pairing can stay for a little while. I think Bottas, this will be... Next year will be Bottas's last. I mean, you've just got to move him on and bring George Russell in because you've got to create a future for Mercedes. Yeah, you'd be crazy not to do that. So um, Bottas will find a place on the grid. You know, there's no, you know, someone like um, uh, a private Williams would happily pick up uh, Bottas. I think in 2022 they'd be happy to take him back. Yeah. You know, say goodbye to Kvyat. Uh, let Gasly run the AlphaTauri team in terms of be their lead driver. The real question that still exists is Albon, and I'm I think it's great that he got his first podium here today. Yeah, but first tie driver as well, and also to get a podium. Did, I mean, did he really prove this weekend that he was, uh, you know, that he stepped up to the mark? I don't know that he. Did. I don't I know. Think he was just lucky again. He was, lucky. He, he was just very lucky, but I just don't think he's the the number two driver for Red Bull. Not yeah, certainly not to, to be the driver to back up for Stapp, and mm. he's proven in quite a few races, that he's just not been able to actually be the backup that Max needs at the moment. So, look, <coughs> it was a good race. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed that race. Um, there was a lot of a lot of us sitting forward, leaning forward at restarts. Mm. There was a bit of standing up and, and excitement. There was a bit of send-it from a, from a few drivers. I don't think Daniel would be disappointed with fourth because it was Albon, it was a Red Bull. I think Daniel would have loved to have beaten a Red Bull and gotten that third place, but... I think realistically, that's a good result for Renault. Um, how does how does have you got constructors championship? I'm trying to um, get them up right now. So because I think that's what's really interesting to me is where that sits now. I think that that you know you've obviously got Mercedes going to be the constructors champion. Yeah, that, no doubt. Red Bull second, um, but you know, Racing Point not doing as well as you thought. Plus, they're penalised, and you know the the McLaren. Uh, Alpha Tauri Renault uh, result is still, I think, a fascinating one to watch. You know, um, both, but the problem for both Renault and McLaren is they both had only one finisher in the uh, in the race this today. So okay, here two we, points. Uh, two, here we two, go. Two finishes would have been better. Here we go. So constructor standings right now: Mercedes way in front, three hundred twenty-five points. Yeah. Red Bull one seventy-three. McLaren in third on one hundred and six. Racing point ninety-two. Renault 83. 
They're in fifth. So they can ste- they can definitely catch Racing Point at this stage. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how well that'll play out for them on the on the circuits that are left. And yeah, and Drivers' Championship at the moment, Lewis Hamilton's got a 65-point lead over Valtteri Bottas, and Maxwell, he can't win the championship now, 110 points, so he's about 80 points cl- uh, behind Lewis. Lando is in fourth still on 65, Albon now in fifth on 63, Ricardo is only four points adrift of Lance Stroll. So f- Stroll six on fifty-seven, yeah. Ricardo on fifty-three. But Ricardo, more importantly, is ahead of Charles Leclerc, who's on forty-nine. Now Sochi in two weeks is an earlier race, so it's a nine p.m. start yep. here in Australia. Yep. Uh, which is nice. It'll be nice to get a decent sleep after that one. Yeah. That'd be very weird. <laughs> yes. um, but it could also be the most boring race in the history of Formula One. Yeah, yeah, I know, but. The, the the comfort is we're now at the halfway point. The next race we go to after Russia in two weeks will be the Nurburgring, you know. And the Nurburgring is is pr- you know usually a pretty decent race yep. for you know, and the track is pretty good as well. Yep. So Russia, Russia is coming up. Nurburgring, Nurburgring, and then we go to Portimao in Portugal for the Portuguese now, Grand Prix. I'm sure I heard was it Portimao that Hamilton was saying earlier was another new track that Correct. was like this. Yes, I think he was saying it was kind of a you know real exciting drivers track like this one. So yes, that's a that's a good feeling that there's something again something new happening. Um, I look forward to San Marino personally. I look forward to the the, the event going back there. Yeah, but well, well San Marino. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. That's at the end of October. So yeah, yeah we got we got a bit of a way to go for that. But look, uh, so look, a good race, uh, a good result for Daniel um, in fourth. And I, I think disappointing in some senses, but I think a good result overall and not a bad way to finish the, the weekend. Four, four places up from where you started. You yeah, can't be unhappy with it. And pretty he sh- decent. Do you know what? Bottom line, he showed again he's a freaking good driver. Oh. Do you know what I mean? Like he, I think that's the thing about what, what I look with, with Daniel, and I think that this, this is why I'm excited about next year because I think Norris is just as good a driver. I think they will literally push each other yes. in the same way that a – you know, there's a Seb Weber or a Max Daniel. Was it's it's actually you know equal. It'll make things more exciting, I reckon. And uh, I think so, absolutely. So look, that that's exciting. But really, the most exciting thing this weekend was uh, in F3 for Australians. There's you know there's a lot of Aussies in the F3, um, but Oscar Piastri had the chance to wrap up the championship this weekend. It didn't look good at the start because he qualified, I think, 16th. For he the got, first he race. qualified 11th, but got that five place grid penalty, which we talked about yeah. last week, and he started in 16th. He basically had to try and fight his way to 10th. We to thought get he was going to try and get to 10th and then yep. just stay there and try and get that reverse grid, but he got to 11th in the first race. So, no, no points, but. Um, and that allowed Sargent to, to gain some points because I fin- think he finished fifth. Fifth overall, yes. Which also meant that Sargent speaking would of, be Speaking in, of Australians, there's Daniel. Sixth. So Daniel's uh, um, jumping on a Sky News, uh, a Sky, <laughs> Sky Sport F1. I should pause it. So I, did I work out last week you can't pause bloody KO? Is that what I worked out? I think. Oh. Um, maybe. Anyway, I'll worry about that later. Um, so, yeah. I mean, the, so the race, the third race, or sorry, the second race this weekend, was fascinating because it had this situation where Oscar's starting in 11th. Yes. Logan Sargent is starting in, I think, 6th because of the reverse grid. That's right. Uh, and Portimao, is that his name? No, uh, Theo Pacher. Theo Pacher. Theo Pacher had started in 8th. And he basically put himself into a strong position. That's so right. So we had six drivers mathematically that could win the championship, whittled down to three for the final and race. what we knew was that with Lawson and uh, Piastri even on points, we just needed Piastri ahead of Lawson. 
uh, and we needed him to be very close to uh, to Theo because yeah, very hard for Theo to score nine or ten points mm. if if Oscar's right behind him, basically. Um, and we sat down to dinner. The race was at six thirty. And Harry's only nine, eight turning nine. Jacko's 13, 20, 14. They're massively into it. And the good thing is uh, they're, they're very easy to spot, these drivers. You know, Oscar's a number one uh, on, the, on the car and Logan's a three. Yes. They look the same. And poor Logan got pushed out on the very first lap. Uh, Just bad luck. It yeah. was it was genuinely bad luck. Um, it was I think it was genuinely a racing incident too, but... Mate, the sound in our kitchen was loud, <laughs> very, very loud. Yes. Um, because at that point, it's looking very good. But the problem is Theo then pushed really hard and got to fourth behind his teammate, Daniel uh, Oscar, in kind of 10th or 11th behind his teammate, Vestry. And the problem is, in F3... They're not really teammates. No, they are yeah. driving for the same so team. We, we know teams being, you know, team orders being, you know, Bottas and Hamilton, you know, talking to each other. But Oscar brings money to the team and gets his drive. He so, doesn't give a rat's what Vesti's doing. Same with Theo, right? Yes. So if 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 you're in front of Theo and you're about to get your first ever podium and your team gets on the radio and says, mate, can you let him pass? You go, no, mate, I don't want a podium. So in the end... Uh, Theo did get passed, and as did Oscar. Oscar ended up getting a couple of places up, including one Lightning McQueen style on the, at the at the checkered flag with the tongue out. And mate, the kid won the F three championship. He, he got to seventh place, so basically, Pacheco got into third, which meant he had enough points to win the championship. But oh, Piastri just drove like it was the last race of his life, and yeah. got. He gained enough points to get ahead of Pacher, and in the end, he crossed the line in seventh place, right on the line at the final lap, and took the championship, which was an amazing performance. Now, it's not actually described as a world championship, I should be clear, yeah. but you know, let's call it a world champion championship because this tweet I loved earlier um, from uh, uh, Tristan Spooner says, Australia's first FIA Open Wheel World Championships, Alan Jones won the World Championship in 1980. Yeah. And Australia's first Open Wheel Championship of any kind since Will Powell won the IndyCar Series in uh, 2014. It's pretty. Well, it's actually a really big deal, I think. It is a massive deal, and I, and I, I want people to understand how important this championship win is for Australians in the world motorsport scene, particularly in open wheelers. We haven't had a world champion (coughs) Formula One wise since 1980 with Alan Jones. And yes, we've had David Brabham. Yes, we've had Mark Webber and Daniel Ricciardo. They haven't, they've got close, but not quite close enough. What we have seen with Oscar Piastri in the last couple of months is probably a drive that you know a driver that deserves to be in Formula One in due course. Yep. I think he's got the potential definitely to definitely be a world champion. Now we we should also temper that with this doesn't mean he's racing Formula One next no, year, right? No, he's a Renault not. Junior Academy, so there's a pathway for him. He's also managed by Mark Webber, so there's doors to be knocked on very easily, and doors will open very easily for him. Yes, but you know it's a pathway that you know could be a 2022. If you wanted, so let's look at it this way, right? A, a potential pathway. By the way, I'm pretty sure he scored enough um, for a super license points now to qualify for a super license. So yeah. he could, he could race Formula One next year. I think. Uh, I think. I think this championship gave him just enough points. I last think so year too. And this year's result. Look, I think to be quite frank with you, 
He'll get a test drive. He'll do some testing. Yeah, next I would year. like to think he'll do some Friday runs next year. Um, he'll do you know March testing next year with uh, with Renault because he's a Renault driver. Yep. But the other thing is that with so what what you'll see next year is you'll see all these seats open up and change drivers and stuff. But I think what'll happen is that you've got Fernando Alonso coming into Renault next year, right? Yes. Now Fernando's not going to wait one year. He's going to want two or three because he's going to want to drive that twenty twenty two new regs car, right? There's no way Fernando's coming back for one year. Am I absolutely, right? Absolutely not. So Fernando's locked in for a couple of years, right? Esteban, I think, is going to be proven to be a complete useless heap for Renault. He's already starting to prove to be useless. Alongside, so, you know, put him alongside Daniel and you're like, okay, so he's, he's not doing as well. Put him alongside Fernando, you're going, he's not a champion, right? He's not going to be. So that's when you go, like in 2022... That could be that could be Oscar's drive. I, I think next year you have to put Oscar in a Formula Two car. Yeah. Without a question. It'd be crazy not to. And I think it'd be I think it's a be a great confidence booster for him. I think he will do just as well in Formula Two, if not better. Yeah. I, you know, like we've seen Mick Schumacher do really good things in Formula Two this year, and there's no no question in my mind he is going to make it into Formula One next year with Alfa Romeo. Now, look, I chose not to try and pester him for a chat tonight because I thought the bikes just won the championship. Uh, also, who knew this was going to go this long? But um, I did text him, uh, congratulations. He said, thanks. So we're in touch. So I will do my darndest over the next 14 days to, to get him and have a chat because I'm, I'm kind of most curious about... A, the pathway has been on, but where he sees that pathway being. Because I yeah. think he's raw enough and young enough and innocent enough to be very honest about that stuff right Absolutely. Now. <laughs> and I would love... I would actually like to know how honest he would be about our pathway to, you know, to Europe and Formula One. Because at the moment, there's absolutely nothing, which I just said last week. Yeah. So I'd be very keen to hear what he has to say in regards to the current path to Formula One from Australia to Europe, from, you know, from the Motorsport Australia perspective. Because yeah, at the moment, there's there's hardly anything. I hear that, but, but I mean, there's there was four drivers four in, the, drivers. in the Formula 3, so it's hard to argue that there's no pathway because there's four drivers in the Formula 3. Yeah, no, I mean, that's a very good pathway, uh, but, but, I mean, but, I mean, to, to get that opportunity, like, you know, we, ha- we don't have anything, you know, we, we don't have Formula 4 now. Formula Ford is pretty much now a state-based thing, even though the, yeah. the grids are still there. So there's no, and no one's really going to jump from karting into, say, S5000 because that's a massive jump. So I, th- I think we've gotten to a point, I'll be honest with you, we've gotten to a point where if um, – like I, I, I never have the money to put my kids in karting, so it's very, it's quite an expensive sport if you want to yes. do it well, right? You've got to have tens of thousands of dollars over the course of a year. There's no way I ever had that. But if you had a four- or five-year-old who looked like they could steer and they're doing all right at the age of eight and nine and ten and ten and eleven in karting here in Australia – You've simply got to pick up as a family and invest in going to Europe now. That's yeah. It's very, it's, mu- it's very much like those that are trying to do MotoGP. You yeah, you know, you've, you've got you've got money behind that move. That's unfortunately, I don't think you need a pathway. I think you just need support. You just need you know people with money to have the willingness to put it behind it and actually you know throw it at it. You know, Oscar's luckily got some backing and yeah. Um, you know, the good the best thing Oscar's got is is Mark Webber. Because he'll open doors for him. Yeah, absolutely. Simple as that. Yeah. So he's the champion. He um he does that that right. That series and, and is over. It, Formula Two still got another three rounds yeah, to go. I should mention also Alex Peroni finished in the top ten of the championship. So that's yep. a that's a great effort by the Tasmanian. So Yep, the the um, orange car with the Blundstone and the Tasmania sponsorship. Yeah. Um for Campos very racing. well. Yeah. Um and the other thing we should mention is um Mick Schumacher. Yes. 
did very well in the in the F2. He's leading the championship now with a, with a few races uh, to go. Let me have a look. Yes. Um, and there's a couple of things I want to mention about Mick. Firstly, um, holy shit, he got into his dad's 2004 World Championship winning car and did. It seemed like four or five laps of the Mugello circuit, and it was the best sound I've heard, well, since the turbo hybrid <laughs> era. Um, it was awesome, and he he's doing very well in the championship, and it would not surprise anyone in the paddock to see him in... It was actually, Matteo Bonotto is on the record of saying, we need to prepare him for Formula One. So it's, it seems very clear to me... The Giovinazzi's out. Yes. And Schumacher's in. Well, he's leading the championship by about eight points going into the next couple of races. We've got Sochi in two weeks, and then there's a massive break before they go to Bahrain at the end at the beginning uh, of I December. I just can't imagine Mick Schumacher won't be in an Alpha Alpha Romeo next year. Mm. Uh, and I, here's the thing. I leave what I do is I leave Kimmy there. And you leave Kimmy with Mick so that you've got an old head and Kimmy would genuinely, I believe, guide him and help him. Like, he would he would support him through the year. That's why you keep Kimmy on board. For, for, one, for, for one more year or something. For one more year, yeah. just to just to help guide Mick through the whole thing. I've stuffed up the TV. I'm trying to trying to get it to pause so that I could watch the Daniel Ricciardo interview. But anyway. Um, so, yeah, I think that's really exciting. I think the... I think the grid for next year is it's still to, so open. It's but still open, but the, it's starting to settle itself there's down. There's a few little, uh, few little cubes coming into place, so it's pretty cool. Oh, I'm looking forward to next year. All right, well, uh, Sochi. Two in, weeks uh, time. In two weeks, yep. earlier start. So um, we get a week off and then come back. Uh, Harry, Harry won't have to two-stop that. That'll be a one-stop. <laughs> Wake up, Harry. Wake up. Oh. Is it wrong that I didn't? I mean, we got to the point where the, the formation lap was on, and I said to you, I said, listen, if he rings now, I'm not opening the gate to let him in. No. So it was very simple. And um, the thing is, I've only sworn once tonight. That's that's how that's how bad it is. It's just unbelievable. <laughs> All right, people, uh, thanks for listening. Uh, we'll be back again uh, straight after the race at, uh, at Sochi uh, in two weeks from now, and there's still plenty more. Formula One action to come. We've got three more months of this. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Feels like a long time. Connor, I'll see you in a couple of weeks. You too, mate. <laughs>